So today we thought we would go over a little bit about what it's actually like to be an editor. There's sort of like two parts to it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a part one and a part two. Part one is going to be some more of the fun stuff around how editors think. And then part two is going to be more technical about what the editing process is actually like and how you go through it. So we have a few tips for kind of like what questions you should ask when you hire editors. What not to say to editors, how to work with editors. It might be like that, but also um, it's a little bit about the art of editing. This episode is brought to you by T from Ireland. It's golden and delicious. It's amazing. Yeah, so for editors are the last last part of it's a post production mm. on everything. It's like the kind of end note of the whole process of it is. making videos. Right. You kind of talk me about this mm. and privately about how it feels pressure. Mm. What are the times that you felt like you're failing your job but it's not your fault? It happens a lot. I feel that all the time. Mm. The worst is when people have conceptual problems. Like, they shot a scene and the scene just isn't, like... I have one project. If I say it, everyone will know which project it is, but... Your friends will know. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) They shoot this action sequence of two people struggling. The blocking wasn't right, and there wasn't a fight choreographer. The actors didn't go through fight training. So the actors just try to wing it, but it doesn't look very good, and so then they have to cover it up with all these weird camera moves, and then it doesn't cut together very well. The scene just doesn't work, and it feels like my fault as the editor. But it's really sometimes not your fault it's Mm -hmm. like oh you literally only have two shots for me to work with for this fight sequence like there's literally two video clips video clip one video clip two and they're like it doesn't look realistic make it realistic you're like i can't i I can't you know exactly i can do a lot of things with post-production but i can't do that exactly all the decision making about which costs to cut and about what compromises to make have been done and then you get the footage And sometimes they made poor decisions. They made poor decisions on set. They hired the wrong person. They didn't have the budget for a thing that they needed. They got a cheap sound guy that didn't know what he was doing. There's any number of concessions that they've made along the way. And then you get the footage and they want something that they don't have the raw materials for. Mm -hmm. We don't have any B-roll, but the documentary is all a person talking. And we want some B-roll. Right. Or like... I have one example from a documentary I was working on a classroom that just like blew my mind. The documentary team went to a school and they shot in a very specific classroom with a specific teacher. And the classroom was kind of mostly white kids and then a few minority kids. Mm. And then we get into post-production and they're like, I wish there were more black kids in this classroom. And we're like, well, it's a documentary and the kids that are in the room are the kids that are in the room. I can't change that in post-production. You have no other footage of any other classrooms I could use. You can't go back and fake it. We can't go back and reshoot. I'm not sure how I can solve this problem with editing. And that happens a lot in the editing phase. Directors will look at a scene and say, oh, I wish I got a take where she didn't cry. And I'm like, well, there's only so much I can do with the tools that I'm given. Mm -hmm. And it happens for both client work and artwork that sometimes it's what you're trying to do is just not there and you have to come up with a a solution that works but isn't necessarily exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. Bad acting. That happens a lot too. Good editing can make bad acting look better but there are some scenes where if you picked a bad actor and you shot it wrong I I can't save your film. Mm -hmm. I can do my best 
to close the gaping wounds, <laughs> but it's still just going to slowly bleed <laughs> and die in the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's fix it in post. This mm. phrase has come up a lot, you know? Yes. There are few things you can fix it in post. It will cost you money, but you can't. But there's few things you can't fix it in post. I can't manufacture black people in post. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, one, one example is bad audio. My advice to all filmmakers, if you're going to spend money on something, spend money on a good audio guy. Because bad audio is really hard to fix. And there's not that many good sound people that can actually do it. If you have an air conditioner running in the background or the microphone has clothing noises or if it was placed too far away or no matter what you need a dedicated sound guy to make sure your audio is on point because bad audio is bad and there's nothing I can do to fix it I can't take away mic noise from clothing rub I can't I can do some but I can't work miracles on bad audio you can only do so much with audio even though I do know what I'm doing and I can push audio you can push and pull audio in certain ways but if your audio quality is really bad, there's not very much that anybody can do for you. Exactly. So that's an example of people thinking, oh, we'll just raise the level in post, but like, do it right the first time. Take mm. the time and do it right the first time. Exactly. So first piece of advice was pay for a good sound guy. Don't cut corners on sound. Second piece of advice I can give you is if you ever get any title work or animation work in your video, you must discuss with them ahead of time if you want to receive those elements separately. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hmm. If you're doing any fancy animation or graphic work, request that they give it to you as a file with like a transparency level underneath. Or request that they give you the elements at the very beginning of working with them. I'm going to want the PDF files, the layered PDFs of every graphic you create. I'm going to want uh, image vector file of the logo, you know? If they do an animated work, say, can I get a separate file that has, if they do hard subtitles, can I get a separate file for the subtitles and one for not the subtitles? So that in the future, you can do whatever you want with it. Like for instance, as well, like in also design world, there's a lot of formats and there's a lot of like exports like files. And I hate when just company gives me like, oh, here's my logo. Give me in JPEG. Yeah. Like, without any, because like there's, Logos are supposed to be very used in very small places and are very large places. They use vector, so they should be in AI files or they should be in... Is it SVG or... The SVG file. At the very least, PNG or TIFF with the transparency Yeah, label. exactly. So I'm like, what is this JPEG? This what am I supposed... And it's like... like then like, now I have to cut it out and, and it's like... 12 pixels by 12 pixels. Yeah, You're like, like yeah, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Yeah, it's going to work for your icon on some kind of app, but like not for printable versions or any web, you know. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've been given other footage to work with and they're like, this is the only version I have. I'm like, oh, it'd be really useful if you had a transparent version right now that I could do something with. Mm. Or if you have an uncompressed archive quality version, I can do a lot more with the color than if you don't. One of the most healing things I've ever done is to sit down with other people that worked on the film. I used to just edit and then that was the last that I heard of a film. More recently, when I finish a film, the producer wants to watch it. Lately, I've been watching it with the producer. Or I've been watching it with the director of photography. Or I've been mm -hmm. watching it with the casting director. And I had a few experiences where the director of photography is like, oh, I thought this film was awful when we were shooting it. I can't believe you turned it into this. Mm. Or I've had some examples where the producer is like, this is much better than it looked like it was going to be in the script. And it's very healing for them to be like, oh, that gun scene. And you're like, I know, right? And to have other people kind of 
remind you that it's not all your fault and they know it, mm -hmm. that can be very, very relieving as an editor because it feels like I'm the last person who touches the film. It is all down to me to make it work. Mm -hmm. The pressure is on because audiences don't know what footage there was. So maybe you had a bad actor and I cut out all the bad stuff and gave them the performance of their career, but you as an audience member, all you see is mediocre acting, but you don't know how good a job I did with that raw exactly, material I was given. Exactly. Or you have the other way around sometimes where editors who don't know what they're doing, they take a film that was a great script, well acted, well shot, and then they just sort of don't bring it to life and it just doesn't reach its full potential as a film. So there's a lot of pressure I feel in the post-production stage to be the one that animates the film. You know, you get this like puppet and you have to make it dance. Mm. I want to talk to you about everything it drives me crazy. Oh my god, so many things drive me nuts. First thing mm. I would like to toss you to. Sure. When directors pick sketch audio, but like they actually pick the pop song or a popular song. <gasps> oh, that is my pet peeve. Oh, that's my pet peeve. I hate that. Exactly. Oh, I hate that so much. I fight with directors routinely because they're like, they have audio references. What they do is, in the scene, I want this opera song. I've picked it out ahead of time. Let me play it for you. And I fight so hard. Don't you dare put that in the film. Do not even drop it in the timeline. I will not even import it into Final Cut because that is a famous opera song you do not have the rights to. You will never be able to use it. I will not cut this film with this music because when we take it out, no other piece of music will ever feel right to you as a director. You will be unhappy with every other piece of music. Do not put scratch audio in unless you have the rights to it. Oh, I hate that so much. Oh, and directors, for the love of God, please pay attention to copyright. And they tell you all the time, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to show it anywhere. It doesn't matter. And then guess what? Later on, you're like, oh, I can't send it to a film festival because I used a Beatles song I can't afford. If you have a friend who's like a cool musician who like does really great singer-songwriter or is a great rapper or has like really good pop songs, then that's great. Feel free to use their work. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Just don't use pop songs. There are several reasons. One, if you use a pop song, you don't have the rights to it. It limits what you can do with your film. And number two, you must respect copyright. If you expect other people to not rip off your work, you need to stop ripping off other people's work. And then situation number three, it's actually very distracting most of the time to have a song that you recognize. If you put Telephone by Lady Gaga in there, the first thing people do is start singing along to Telephone instead of watching your film. So it's best to not use recognizable pop songs anyway. Don't do it, guys. Oh, hey. I hate it so much. That drives me crazy. Oh, uh, I don't like it when people do titles on black. Titles on black? Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Because I think uh, most of the time, like, really big budget films have really cool title sequences, opening title sequences at the beginning of their movies. Like Juno. Mm. I've had tons of cases where people come in and they have a scene before, like a cold open almost, like in television they have kind of a scene before the title and then the movie starts, but then I don't know why you're cutting to black, why are you cutting to black, you just interrupted my movie viewing experience, like can't you find some footage underneath at which you can put the title? I think titles to black work occasionally, but not very much. Or I think in cases like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where the title actually appears so late in the film, it's like kind of funny that the opening is so long. Like, it works to have a complete cutaway to a title sequence there because it's absurdist, but it doesn't work in most cases. I don't understand why people just... It's just because it's easy, I don't have to design it, and I don't know what I'm doing with titles, so I'm just going to put bad aerial default Premiere Pro 
text on black. That's what I'm going to do. No animation in or out. It's just going to cut to a title on black and then come back. Oh, I hate that. It's not good. It's like little details that makes it a little bit look um, sloppy. Sloppy. Sloppy is the right put some, phrase. Put some, put some care. Put some, put some transitions. Put something. Put something. Put something. <gasps> There's one I cannot stand. This is another one. This is like at the level of using scratch music. Korean editors, I'm looking at you. You do this all the time. They have background music that is not only too loud, but they never adjust the volume on it. When someone talks, bring the background music down. When they're done talking, bring the background music back up. It's like they just put an audio track underneath and then just leave it. So you're like straining to hear what people are saying. That's the worst. So you're listening to it and you're like, what are saying? <laughs> exactly. And I'm pretty sure that's why they have to subtitle everything because Korean editors are not rubber banding the freaking audio. I hate it. Oh, sloppy. Little the little details. And that's not an expensive detail. Rubber banding your audio is not an expensive detail. Oh, exactly. I can do it. <laughs> Having footage behind your title instead of black, that's not an expensive detail. But those are little touches that will level up your game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't do those things, guys. Don't put a gun. Write out your gun in your student film. If you're a student, stop putting guns in your films. Oh, my God. (laughs) There's this one, like, student films. I've edited a lot of student films in my life. When I was an undergraduate, when I was in graduate school, and then, you know, helping out friends. I have edited many, many student projects. Why does every student project have a gun in it? How many of you have access to a gun right now? I'm guessing it's a much smaller percentage than what appears in, in student films. Oh my god. That's one of the most student filmy things you can do is have a gun. And then the other thing is like you get the wrong gun. You know? Like a cop gun for an old lady. Or you get like an assault rifle for somebody that's getting going hunting in the woods. Like you get the wrong gun. If you're a student, stop putting guns in your films. If you are an editor or filmmaker and you have things that drive you bonkers, please send us an email or leave us a comment and let us know. I think we could do kind of like a regular once a year, instead of like a big roundup, we could do a once a year things that drive filmmakers nuts. (laughs) I think that would be a very, very rich topic. I think that would be very funny. Let us know if you have any. (laughs) And if you're not an editor or filmmaker, let us know if you enjoyed this one. It was pretty technical and pretty detailed, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and whoever is in in the film industry. And if you know any editors in your life, please send this to them. I think they'll get a kick out of it. Definitely. Thank you.